If I can invite you to take the Word of God with me, we'll go in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 41. Isn't our God good to us? Amen. And uh, so thankful for the love that we have in Christ. Amen. Uh, that is so evident uh, being with you, just seeing the love that you have for one another, that you have for your pastor, that he has for you, he and his family. And I'm thankful for the fellowship we have in Christ. Amen. And uh, thank you, Pastor Turner, for this great privilege of preaching um, behind your pulpit. And uh, every week I have been so encouraged just by the fellowship and the kindness of your people. Uh, I can see that um, the man of God uh, that God has placed here, his kindness, his love, the love of Christ has flowed through him and rubbed off on the people. And uh, it's just a joy to be with you. You've been so kind to me. Uh, I wish my wife could have come with me as well. She's been having Bible studies um, after our Sunday morning service. Otherwise, it would have brought her so she could be encouraged too. Um, but I know she's praying for us as well. So uh, here we are in Genesis chapter 41. We'll, we'll read our text in a few moments. But uh, one common thing among most human beings, at least uh, I think those of us who are normal, <laughs> uh, we want what is best. Uh, when you're going somewhere, a new town for the first time, and uh, you're looking for a place to eat, what many of us do, and if you don't do this, I would recommend it, it could uh, uh, protect you from some scary experiences, but if you pull up your phone and go to Google Maps or maybe Yelp and look up restaurants, you can find reviews of what other people thought of restaurants, and then you can choose, okay, what is my best option in this town? Uh, you know, sometimes when we're, we're picking out a dessert, and, and this is especially funny with large families, you know, the, the box of Tim Hortons, uh, donuts arise, and we open the box. Nobody wants the one that all the icing has rubbed off and is on the lid. Uh, you want the best donut there. And uh, I grew up with siblings, and we argued over the best, and we fought for the best. We want the best. Uh, for many of you who have immigrated to Canada, you sacrificed so much, gave up a lot, have gone through all kinds of toil. Why? Because you want the best possible future for your children. And you are willing to sacrifice just about anything to give them the best. And young people, if you have parents who, 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 who did that for you, don't take that for granted. Don't take it for granted getting to grow up in Canada. We are so blessed here and your parents have sacrificed more than you'll ever really understand so that you could have uh, the opportunities that you have here in Canada. In sports, I mean, how does every team approach the playoffs or their mindset going into the year? They all want to win the championship. Now, some know that that's not a reasonable expectation, uh, but that's what everybody wants, to end the year as the champion, to end the year as the best. And this morning, we want to look at from God's Word uh, a message entitled, God's Best. Amen. God's Best. I want to encourage you this morning that God has a plan for your life that is far better than anything you could imagine, than anything this world could offer, than anything that maybe you're even planning for yourself right now. Nothing compares to the best that God has for us. And here in Genesis, we are going to look at a man who experienced God's best. And he's an example to us. So let's read 
our text verse here in Genesis chapter 41, verse 38. The Bible says, And Pharaoh said unto his servants, speaking about the man called Joseph, Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your abundant goodness to us that we get to call you our Father that we get to come boldly before your throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We thank you that as we go through this life, we are leaning on your everlasting arms. We thank you that you never fail us. We thank you that you want to give us your best. And we thank you that for those of us who have trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior, you've already given us your best. And Father, we pray that as we look at the life of Joseph this morning, we pray that these few moments we have together that you would meet with us. We know that where two or three of us are gathered together in Christ's name, he is in our midst. And so we pray that his presence would be felt, that his words would be spoken, that he would be magnified. We ask that his Holy Spirit would guide the tongue of this feeble human instrument and that he would take these words and apply them to the heart of every individual here. God, you know the needs of your people. You know what they're going through, and only you can meet those needs. And so we pray that you would speak to us this morning. We desperately need to hear from you. And so I ask for your help. I really need your help to communicate these wonderful truths. We do pray that Christ would be magnified and lifted up in this place and that every heart would be drawn closer to him. Father, I thank you for the Anchor Baptist Church and their faithfulness. I thank you for their pastor and their pastor's wife. And Lord, I just pray that you'd encourage their hearts this morning from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Here in Genesis 41, verse 38, this is the first mention in Scripture that we have of someone being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And although I think Pharaoh didn't quite understand all that he was saying when he said, can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is, I don't think he had any idea exactly what he was saying. But the Holy Spirit, as the author of Scripture, included this in here to help us learn something about how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God indwells you. He's a real person. He's not just some force or some mystical presence. He's an individual who lives inside you. You know, last week we talked about the gospel of God, that Paul devoted his life to preach, and that God sent... Uh, Pastor Ben Turner here to plant a church and preach the same gospel. And you know, one benefit of believing the gospel is that we have a home in heaven one day. But the best thing about the gospel is that it tells us how we can enter into a personal, dynamic relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And how when we receive Him, we receive Him not only as our Savior, but as someone to come and live in our hearts. 
That is why the gospel is good news. Heaven, the only reason it's something to devote your life to and look forward to is because Jesus will be there. Colossians 1, verses 26 through 27, the apostle, you don't have to turn there, you can if you'd like, but the apostle Paul is speaking of this message of the gospel that he gets to preach, and this is how he describes it, even the mystery or the secret which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And what is, what is this mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. How does a person get Christ into their heart? Well, he's the one that takes the initiative to get in there. In Revelation 3, verse 20, we read, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Maybe this is your first time at a church or maybe you haven't heard a lot of the gospel. Well, can I urge you this morning that Christ is coming to you and he's knocking on the door of your heart and he's saying, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And let me urge you to let Christ into your heart and life today. What happens when Christ enters in? Well, John 1 verse 12 says, As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You receive Christ into your heart, you get his status as God's child. In Galatians 4, verse 6, because ye are sons, ye are sons and daughters of God, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. I can't comprehend how all this works, but you know how the Lord Jesus Christ takes up residence in your heart and mine by the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of His Son. And 2 Corinthians 3 verse 17 tells us what the Holy Spirit of God intends to do in our lives. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And this is the Holy Spirit's work to bring this about. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So when you get saved, Christ takes up residence in your heart by His Holy Spirit. And you know what He does for the rest of your life on this earth? He shows you His glory from the pages of this book and changes you into His image. And this is why Joseph is such a remarkable character in Scripture, someone whose life that we would want to pattern ours after, because perhaps more than any other character in Scripture, he reflected the character of our Lord. He's a, what we would call as Bible students, a type of Christ. When we read of Joseph, we cannot help but think of our Lord. And you know, that is God's desire for every one of us this morning, that when people read our life, that they couldn't help but think of our Lord. So what does the Holy Spirit of God do for us? Well, what did he do for Joseph? Well, the, the same thing he did for Joseph is what 
he will do for us. And if you're taking notes this morning, number one, this is what the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of his Son, this is what Christ is doing in your heart. Number one, he will reveal God's best to you. He will reveal God's best to you. If you'll turn over to chapter 37 of Genesis, many of us are familiar with the story of Joseph. And really the, the first things we read about him are these strange dreams that he had. And we must understand that the dreams people had in Scripture are different from our dreams. Uh, they weren't caused because they had too much pizza the night before. Uh, yes, they could be strange like the ones that Joseph had, but the ones that are mentioned in Scripture were really visions uh, given to them by God, ways that He could speak to them, because they didn't have the canon of Scripture like you and me do. And so we don't need to be looking to God to give us dreams and signs. We've got the book right here. And so, but for Joseph, he didn't have that luxury. He didn't have that gift that we have. And so God began communicating to him at a young age through dreams. And in verse 5 of chapter 37, we read, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. They already hated Joseph. Why? Because he was his father's favorite. And parents, uh, be warned by the story of Joseph that favoritism will destroy your family. It, it destroyed Joseph's family because his father had favorites. And that is why Joseph was hated. But then when he told his brothers his dreams, it made a situation even worse. Verse 6, this is what he told them. He said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? You see, they got the tenor of that dream. They got what God was trying to tell him, that one day he would be in a position of, of authority and leadership, and his brothers would be bowing down to them, and they couldn't stand it, that he would have such a dream. Then in verse 9, And he dreamed yet another dream and told his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. Now we're, now we're trying to learn about how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And what he did for Joseph is early on in his life, he revealed God's best or God's plan for Joseph. And early on, he showed Joseph what his future looked like. He showed Joseph the, what the climax would be of God's working in his life, that one day he would be in some kind of position of authority, that even his family would bow down to him. Now you and I haven't received such a dream, but could you turn over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, to what God wants to reveal to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If the Holy Spirit lives in your heart, He wants to reveal God's best to you. And that's what we read about here in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. 
The Bible says, as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared Amen. for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. What is he saying there? Just like nobody else can see what's going on in the inside of you but your own spirit so too, no one can really look into the things of God apart from the Spirit of God. Verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things Amen. that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But notice this, verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. That is why when you share the gospel with a lost person and tell them of Christ's love for them, so often they look at it as foolishness, as a waste of time. They can't stand it. Why? Because the natural man cannot receive the things of God apart from a miraculous working of the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, but he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judge of no man. Verse 16, for who had known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. These truths are so vital, Christian. You know what this means? This means you can go to Anchor Baptist Church for the rest of your life. You can even read your Bible every single day. You can even register for some kind of Bible course. You can attend the excellent meetings and, and, and receive the instruction that they have at RU on Friday nights. You can, you can take in all of this biblical instruction, but apart from a work of the Holy Spirit, nothing will happen. And you can come and you can hear and you can observe, but if you are not yielded to the work of the Holy Spirit of God inside your heart, it will all be for naught. And I am devastated, I am heartbroken to see those who grew up like me with the same opportunities, with the same biblical instruction, but because their hearts were not open and receptive and yielded to the work of the Holy Spirit of God, now they're not even in church, now they don't even care about the things of God. Why? Because maybe they were taking it in, in, in their minds, but it wasn't getting into their hearts. They weren't letting the Holy Spirit do His work. And I'm not here to say that I have been always open to the work of the Holy Spirit or yielded to Him, but for the grace of God, there would I be as well. So I'm so thankful that He works mercifully, even when we aren't all that yielded to Him. He's merciful to us. I can attest to that. But He works in our lives to show us the things that have been freely given to us by God. Can you turn over with me to Ephesians chapter 1? Ephesians chapter 1. It's one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. I tried to preach on it, and I, I think that was a mistake at, at this stage in my development. It's, it's a little too glorious for someone uh, my age to try to tackle this passage. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath, this has already been done for those who have believed on Jesus Christ and received Him as their Savior, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. If you are a believer, if God's Son lives in your heart by His Holy Spirit, you are already blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. You could not be any richer than you already are in Christ. And what the Holy Spirit of God does in our lives is He continually tries to open our eyes to all that He's already given us. And this is why, as, as Paul is writing this sublime epistle, and he, he's telling the believers what they have in Christ, not once, but twice as he is writing this epistle, he has to stop what he is saying. And he has to take time to pray for these believers that by a miraculous working of the Holy Spirit, they would get what he's saying. That they'd understand. And that's why he prays in verse 17. I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And we've already got the Holy Spirit. What he's praying is that the Holy Spirit's work would become alive in your life. And he would give you this wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. Verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. And then in chapter 3, he prays for them again. In verse 16, he says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by whom? By his Spirit. In the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. This is why when you're reading Paul's epistles, it's really easy to get lost. And you're thinking, what in the world is he trying to say? That is why there's all these semicolons and, and commas and these forever long sentences. Because this man was so filled with the Spirit of God and so overtaken by what it meant to be in Christ and for Christ to be in him, that it was hard to get it out. And yes, we know that the Holy Spirit was inspiring the words and that they're perfectly penned. But the reason that sometimes it, it feels dense and hard to comprehend is because it's more glorious than human language can explain. And that is why we desperately need the Holy Spirit of God to reveal all that we've been given. And that is what he is doing in our hearts. You know what else Paul prayed for believers? Since we're close by, let's just turn to Philippians 1. This is my favorite prayer to pray for my church, for those that I love, for my own life. Verse 9, Paul says, And this I pray, Philippians 1 verse 9, This I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent. Amen. You know what that means? Excellent. Those are that we could say that's God's best. Yeah. 
and approving something that's putting it to the test. You know what God, by his Holy Spirit, is trying to do in your life? He reveals to you his best in his word. And he says, if you will obey this principle, this is what I'll do in your life. If you'll just yield to the Lord Jesus Christ in this area, this is what will happen. And he, he lays it before us. This is my best. And then he says, you put it to the test. You obey me and see if I fail you. You obey me and see if my promises don't come true. You obey me and, and see if Christ isn't all that I said he was. So God reveals his best to us. And then he says, put it to the test. And when we look at the life of Joseph, we see that not only did the Holy Spirit reveal God's best name and show him, Joseph, I've got these glorious plans for you. I'm going to make something great of you. But then the Holy Spirit also brought out the best in Joseph. And that's what he does for us too. He not only reveals God's best to us, but he brings out the best in us. And the same way that he brought out the best in Joseph is the way that he brings out the best in us. If you know anything of the life of Joseph from the time he was 17 till the time he was 30, it was nothing but heartache. It was nothing but betrayal. It was nothing but getting everything that he didn't deserve. It was nothing but pain and anguish and loneliness. At 17 years old, he sold as a slave by his very own brothers and separated from the father that he loved so dearly, thinking he'd never get to see his face again, that he is sold as a slave. He pours his heart and soul into serving Potiphar, and what does he get for it? He's accused by his wife and then cast into prison. And now he's in prison, and all he does there is he, he serves, and he looks out for other people, and he, he tries to live a life pleasing to God, and he's unselfish. He, he helps the men who have some dreams, and one of them gets to be restored to working for Pharaoh. And, and how does that man respond for the kindness of Joseph? He forgets about him willfully. It's not like it just slipped his mind. The man just didn't care enough about Joseph to speak on his behalf. And he's, he's languishing in this prison. He's trying to make the best of it. What kept Joseph going all those years? What kept Joseph from getting bitter? What kept Joseph from indulging in the sin that was offered to him by Potiphar's wife? He was alone in another land. No family support. No church support. No support of the scriptures. What kept him going? Well, although he didn't have the canon of Scripture, I do believe that Joseph knew the creation account and that he knew all that God had given Adam and Eve and how they forfeited it by their disobedience. And I believe that Joseph knew God's given me these dreams. He's going to make something great of me. He wants to use me to bring him glory. How could I sin and do this great wickedness against him who has such great plans for me? I know that Joseph knew the promises of God because in Genesis chapter 50, verse 25, 
Before he dies, he said, the Bible says, Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. How did he know that? Because God had promised Abraham that he'd give his descendants the land. And so what was it that kept Joseph going all of those years? It was the revealed will of God and his promises. And it didn't matter what trial entered his life, how he was mistreated, how he was abused, how he was left in such a lonely state. He kept on going and God brought about the best in him because he kept on clinging to the promises of God. He kept on clinging to what he knew to be true about his God. And Christian, can I encourage you? You may be walking through a dark valley right now. You may be facing things that no one else in this room knows that you're facing, but God knows. And can I encourage you? Someone said, when you're walking through the dark, don't forget what God has revealed to you in the light. Don't forget God's promises. Don't forget how he's come through for you before. Don't forget all that he revealed to you about his plans for you. If you and I will just have the faith of Joseph to believe God, then he will bring out the best in us. And yes, it's through valleys. And yes, it's through difficulties. But why don't we just obey God when he says in James 1, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. When we look at the character of Joseph, there's, there's nothing that seems to be lacking. All we see is, is a portrait of Christ, and that's what he wants to do in your life and mine. The Holy Spirit, he not only reveals God's best to us and brings out the best in us when we trust in his promises and we trust in his revealed will, but lastly, number three, he will bring out the best possible outcome. The best possible outcome. Joseph, he's a slave, and then he's a prisoner. But God had a plan. And, and Pharaoh has these dreams that he can't sort out. And finally, the, the, the servant of Pharaoh that had been in prison with Joseph speaks up on Joseph's behalf and says, I, I know a man who can interpret dreams. So Joseph is, is pulled out of the prison. He, he shaves and he he cleans himself to make himself presentable to Pharaoh. This is the first time he's, he's been out of that prison in, in years. And he stands before Pharaoh. God gives him the interpretation of the dream. Pharaoh says, can we find such a one as this in whom the Spirit of God is? He elevates him to prime minister of Egypt. Then Joseph gets to make a plan for saving the bumper crop so that they'll be ready for the famine. There's no way Joseph could have drawn it up like this, but because of all the hardship, all the pain of him then ending up in prison, 
Then he gets elevated to a position where now he gets to bring blessing to countless people. He gets to provide for his own family and spare them from starvation. He gets to take care of the father that he loves and give him the greatest retirement years that he could ever want with grandkids around and living in the, the glorious land of Goshen. And Christian, if you will let the Holy Spirit do his work in your heart, you know the two things that are going to come from that? You know what the best possible outcome looks like? God is glorified Amen. and people are blessed. You want to live a life that matters, yield to the Holy Spirit of God, He will be glorified. And that's all that really matters. Mm -hmm. Revelation 4, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive all glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things. And why did He create all things? And for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Nothing short of bringing glory to God is a worthy purpose for living. Yes. And that is the outcome of yielding to the Holy Spirit of God in your life. Joseph, in this passage, I love how he answers Pharaoh. We've got to look at this as we're closing things down. Genesis 41. This is Joseph's one chance at changing his future. This is his one chance to finally realize the dreams that God has given him. And when, when Pharaoh says in verse 15, Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. Joseph had every reason at that point to give Pharaoh his resume. To say, yeah, everything you heard about me is true. I'm the gift that you've been waiting for. I'm the prime minister you need. But is that what Joseph said? In verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, It is not in me. Anything good that has come of my life, any ability I have, it is not in me. And when you and I surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and people see the transformation that Christ can bring, they will know that that is not in you. And that is not in me. That that has to be a miraculous work of God. And Joseph made sure to give God the credit, to give God the glory. When you study Joseph's life, you see that Potiphar knew that God was with him. And you see that so many times in these passages, it says the Lord was with him, the Lord was with him, the Lord was with him. And people knew it. How did they know it? This man had to have been speaking about his Lord. They didn't know Jehovah God, the God of the Israelites. They wouldn't have drawn that conclusion just by watching him. And Christian, we can fall into the temptation of doing good deeds for others and hoping that by just watching our good deeds and watching our kindness that they'll know it's God. But we have a responsibility to tell them to their face why there's anything good coming from our lives. And to say it's because of him. Amen. I've been convicted about this in my efforts to evangelize my neighbors and people I love. Because I've done kind deeds for neighbors before 
and they'll say something like this, you're such a kind person. You know, if I leave it right there, I have stolen glory that belongs to God and received it for myself. And so God's convicted me, if you're going to go do good deeds for other people, you better make it very clear that it's not just because you're a nice Canadian. You better do it in the name of the Lord Jesus and say, I'm doing it for him. Amen. And if he weren't in my life, I wouldn't care about shoveling your driveway because I'm just as selfish as the next guy. But he has made all the difference in my life. And Christian, it's high time that we stop shutting our mouths at work and at school and in our neighborhoods. We need to speak the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. There is nothing intrinsically powerful about our presence. That's right. And yes, we can do kind deeds and, and be good people, but there are a lot of nice, kind, and good Canadians. So how will people know the difference if we do not speak up for our Lord? There is power in the name of Jesus. That's why there's a battle in your heart every time that you want to speak up for the gospel. Because the enemy knows there's power in his name. And he gives you every excuse not to mention him. And I don't care what your employee handbook says or what the left-wing garbage that's being shoved down our students' throats in our schools. We have an obligation to speak on behalf of our Lord and give him the glory. Now, Joseph, he becomes world famous as the prime minister who saved so many lives because of his stewardship of God's blessings. But you know what? You and I don't have to look at Joseph with envy and say, oh man, I wish I had that kind of opportunity. Because the salvation that Joseph brought to these people was temporal. They still got hungry. They still died. But you know what God, by his Holy Spirit, wants to do through your life and mine? Give people a salvation that lasts forever. Amen. To give people bread yes. of which after they eat, they will never hunger again. Oh, that we would follow the example of Joseph. Let the Holy Spirit do his work in our lives. Reveal his best to us. Remember, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. Christian, if you are basing your choices in life on what you can see, you've got it all wrong. Parent, if your dreams for your child are only based on what you can see and what you've experienced or what you think would be the best for them, they're going to miss out on God's best because it's far better than anything we've ever seen. It's far better than anything we can imagine. Don't settle for less than God's best. Let him reveal his best to you from his word. And then let God bring out the best in you and understand that the way he does that is through trials, through pain. But we can say with Job, but he knoweth the way that I take. For when he had tried me, I shall come forth as gold. The refining process can be painful. You might feel like you're burning up right now, but God is doing a work to bring you forth as gold. Let him bring out the best in you. And remember that it's not for your own sake, but it's for the glory of him and for the blessing 
of others. That is the best possible outcome of our lives, that God would be glorified and that others would be eternally blessed.